0: Good morning, noon and night. My name is Ryan. I'm the producer of the Building Great Sales Teams podcast. In this episode, we wanted to give you guys a throwback on one of the episodes that Doug was on called Moving the Needle with Randall Rutledge. He is another entrepreneur out here in San Antonio, Texas, and we had a great conversation with him in his studio, and uh, I just wanted to share that with you guys. So sit back, relax, and let's enjoy this guest spot that Doug was on, on Moving the Needle with Randall Rutledge. Great experiences build great leaders. Great leaders build great teams. This is Building Great Sales Teams.
1: What's going on, everybody? Welcome to Move the Needle. I'm your host, Randall Rutledge, and today's episode. I have a very special guest for you. I have Mr. Doug Mitchell in-house today, who is the host of the Building Great Sales Team podcast, along with the owner of Argenta Consulting. Mr. Doug Mitchell, welcome to the show. appreciate you having me, brother. It's an honor to be here. Absolutely. Absolutely. So as always, Doug, we're going to kind of start out with where your entrepreneur journey started. And okay. I know you kind of got into it in a, in a strange kind of way, mm-hmm. um, but kind of take me back to that moment when you kind of fell into entrepreneurship.
0: Yeah. I mean, I was your typical, I guess, entrepreneur story in the beginning. Right. Um, I got fired from like my first 20 jobs. I had a hard time, like people telling me what to do, you know, (laughs) hard time with authority, which is, is crazy because I wanted to join the military at a young age, but I'm deaf in one ear. So I wasn't able to, and it ended up being a really good thing because I think I would have gotten kicked out pretty easy because I could, I would have kept telling the sergeants and the, uh, my superiors how to do their job. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's why I always got fired before too, because I always saw system breakdowns and I always wanted to solve them. And, and nobody was hearing it from the new guy, you know? Mm-hmm. And so eventually I got into marketing and that got me into a position with a serial entrepreneur who did uh collectible gold sales. He had an industrial staffing company. He had a Christian youth camp. You know, he's a good old boy and he had, uh, Oh, what else? A uh, door-to-door sales company, right? And so the door-to-door sales company was fairly new. I I had been his marketing manager for about a year when he started that. And uh, so I handled the recruiting, some of the onboarding, you know, and I basically did a lot of different things for him that kind of taught me how to run a business, Mm -hmm. you know, through osmosis, which is the best way to learn, in my opinion. And uh, eventually the general manager for the company quit And he asked me to basically fill in like 20 hours a week. Cause most of the time the guys were in the field, you know, so Mm -hmm. you just had to run the office in the morning. And so I did that initially. We got the business back to black. Right. And we did that by implementing systems and processes, you know, just that simple. And so eventually he decided he wanted to sell it. Nobody wants to buy a door to door sales company, you know, no 16 year old is, you know, waking up from a dream of working in door to door someday, you know, (laughs) or sales in general. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, he wasn't able to sell it. So I asked him to owner finance it to me and for me to eventually exit the company. So I did both positions for a while. I owner financed it from him for 200 grand, which is what he had into it, which was crazy. I didn't have 200 grand. He's like, Hey, uh, you're going to have to at least have some skin in the game and put five grand down. And so this is a story, right? And so <laughs> I uh, didn't have five grand, right? I made 30 grand a year as a marketing manager. Where am I going to get five grand from? And so uh, one of the sales managers knew a guy that loaned money. Knew <laughs> <laughs> a guy. And so long story short, I ended up borrowing five grand from the uh, mob out of Corpus Christi and did not know it. I paid it back eventually. God, and so I that was so. <laughs> my seed money to start my business. Yeah, And uh, yeah, it... You know, a lot of people get into the business doing the thing that the business is, right? And so if your business is door-to-door sales, you need to be really good at door-to-door sales, right? Mm -hmm. And so I went in and I sold for three months, but I realized very fast, like, hey, I can't run a business and be out here in the field selling. Mm -hmm. You know, especially uh, such a physical position like door-to-door is. And so I started creating a script you know, I created uh, training behind it and then I created systems, you know. I created opportunity meetings and uh, sales meetings and I created structures inside of those so that people could move up in the company and actually have a a uh, SOP on how to operate, right? Mm-hmm. And that was kind of my talent. It wasn't sales, it wasn't door-to-door, you know, it wasn't the NLP stuff and the sales trainer stuff that you see. Uh, all over social media. It was building systems and processes behind the sales team that enabled it to flourish essentially. Mm-hmm. And so eventually I was able to hire some talented uh, management and put them in place. And you know, when, when I took over the business, we had six sales reps. I had to fire five immediately. Because all they wanted to do was hang out in the van and smoke weed, you know? And it's a good so. reason I, to get fired. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I cut them loose and I had me and my sales manager at the time, which was incredibly talented, had a lot of experience. So I took a, some of his knowledge, some of my ability, and built out the sales program. And three years later, we built it up to 110 sales reps and 4.8 million in commissions.
1: Wow. Yeah. And, you know, being someone that manages and runs and builds sales teams myself, 110 sales reps, like, I don't care what you're selling. I don't (laughs) care where you're at. I don't care the model. That is a lot of work. It's a feat um, that not very many people ever accomplish, Mm -hmm. especially not from scratch. So that's extremely, extremely impressive. So loved loved to hear how you got into entrepreneurship. I actually didn't know that part of the story. Mm -hmm. And I want to... I want to ask you kind of a a strange question, if you will, but you kind of sparked my mind because when I think back to my entrepreneurial journey, I, I look back and I see all the risk that I took. Right. And it's honestly terrifying because I'm like, what was I thinking? What was I doing? Like I made some of the most like terrible decisions ever, but Mm -hmm. they, a lot of them were actually worked out for me. Right. They didn't make a lot of logical sense. Um, what what was it in you that said, "Hey, I don't have five grand, but I'm going to go borrow the money <laughs> to purchase the like the most expensive thing that you probably ever purchased in your life at that point in time, two hundred thousand dollars for mm-hmm. most people." Yeah. Um, and um, and it's a failing business, right? Yeah. So I'm going to bet my last dollar that I don't have on a failing business. That takes, um, for lack of a better term, that takes some balls mm-hmm. in order to do that. Like. Talk to me a little bit about your mindset there. Was it just something you did on a whim? Is it something that that's kind of part of you where you're a risk taker or you Mm -hmm. just really believed in yourself or what was it that made you do that?
0: So at that time in my life, you know, I was 23 years old when I made that decision and I did that. Um, I just had this insane confidence and a lot of it had to do with ego, you know, and it's something that we have when we're young. Right. And it's something that, you know, tempers over time. But um, I did, I had this insane confidence and I had, you know what, more than anything, it was a, it was a chip on my shoulder too. Right. And so like many of us entrepreneurs, I didn't have the greatest family life growing up. You know, I had a mom that didn't want me. I had a dad that was an alcoholic. And uh, so I moved in with my aunt when I was 12. She was kind of like my guardian angel. And she got me to be like, a normal human being, you know what I'm saying? (laughs) But I still had these mommy and daddy issues, you know? And so I had this chip on my shoulder to prove myself that I was going to be better than them, Mm -hmm. you know? And sometimes that's all you need and you'll do anything to prove it, you know? And that's what, uh, you know, things like childhood trauma can do to you. And it was a good thing until it wasn't right. Mm -hmm. It was a good thing until I couldn't like sit with my daughter and be content just sitting there enjoying her company. You know what I mean? Because I had this like, Chip on my shoulder that I always had to have more and do more and Mm -hmm. go get more. So back to your question, though. Um, I think it was. It was an insane confidence. It was me being young and dumb, not realizing what I was doing. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? And then it was. It was that chip on my shoulders like, hey, if I want to become something, I have to take this massive risk and do something that nobody else has ever done. Mm -hmm. You know, at least nobody around me that I could see. You know, nobody was saying, hey, I'm going to build a door-to-door sales empire. I don't even think I thought I was, I was just like, Hey, I see about $1,200 in profit in the business a week and I'm making 30 grand a year right now. So that's 50. What is that? More than what you're making now. (laughs) So like, even if I just maintain that, you know what I mean? I'll get a 20 grand pay raise, you know? And so it made logical sense too, but I think you'll be surprised to know that at the time I made that decision, my daughter, who's in the green room right now and 12 years old, um, getting to come to work with daddy today, uh, she was actually three months. Oh, wow. And me and my wife had just gotten married. And, um, well, we had gotten married a a few years before, but we just had the like celebration right? Mm -hmm. because we couldn't afford it (laughs) when we got married. Um, And my wife, I remember the moment we were in bed, And I'm telling her about this business I'm about to buy, not even like asking her for her opinion. (laughs) And she looks over at me and I can still see her face when she said it. She's like, don't do this. She was scared Mm -hmm. to death because we had a three month old and we were living in her parents condo, not paying rent, not paying a mortgage or anything. And so, um, you know, she was, she was rightfully so she was scared of course. and I didn't listen to her. You know, and it was, you know, and maybe in a marriage sense I should have, but in an entrepreneur sense, you can't, Mm -hmm. you know, you have to follow that passion. You have to follow that instinct that you have. And and I'm incredibly glad I did because of the result that it produced, you know, and now she just doesn't even like bother anymore. She's like, you're going to do what you're going to (laughs) do. You know what I mean? Like, I'm along for the ride. I'm here to support you. And she is. She's the most, uh. Uh, amazing woman that supports all my craziness now. Well, you she's experienced in it. You <laughs>
1: gotta, you gotta have that. I mean, you know, there's a saying behind every great man is a, you know, a great woman. Mm-hmm. Something like along those lines, right? Um, and I'm a firm believer in that. I mean, I know that in my situation, I, there's no way I can do the things that I do without my partner, right? Mm-hmm. Without my spouse, but she does completely understand that I am a crazy person. I'm gonna do whatever <laughs> I want to do. Yeah. Uh, whenever I wanna do it. And she can come home one day and I can say, Hey babe, we're we're moving to Bali and uh I've started this new business and we're gonna do this. Right. And she's yeah. gonna say, Okay, you know, let's mm-hmm. let's do it. Sounds fun, you know, and uh yeah. you know, lucky to have that, but I do I uh I understand what you're what you're meaning there with we're just crazy people. We do do those crazy entrepreneur things mm-hmm. and you don't get a lot of support a lot of times, especially in the beginning, right? Oh
0: man. I still remember, and hopefully, I don't think he will see this, but my brother-in-law, like, at this time, you know, it was probably a couple months later, started the business, like, you know, putting everything I have into it, working 60, 70 hours a week. And I still remember my brother-in-law called me up. Or, no, 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 it was on Facebook, actually. So social media is starting to get big at this time. It was on Facebook, and I had posted something on there. And he's like, oh, you know, yesterday you were – credit repair salesman and then you were a marketing manager and now you're a business owner. You know, he was basically passive aggressive, you Mm -hmm. know, about, and this is my brother-in-law, one of the closest, you know, people to me. And so, um, that definitely is like, Oh, Hey, there was a medium chip there. Now it's extra large. Yep,
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's bigger and bigger. Yeah. Now you,
0: you woke the beast up a little bit. So,
1: yeah. And it's, it's crazy to, to think about it because when you really, when you peel back those layers right and mm-hmm. you talk about that yeah it really came from like you said not having an ideal childhood mm-hmm. right maybe not feeling like you you are enough so trying to you know prove that to yourself and prove that to other people and yeah. then you know a brand new entrepreneur where hey i've just bet it all on the line right i've got a i've got a 3 month old i've got a young child in this world mm mm-hmm. mhm and then you know that child's uncle, essentially or brother in law some somewhere along yeah, those uncle. lines says, "Hey, you know what are you what are you doing here and mm-hmm. it's like you know those are hurtful things, those are all bad things mm-hmm. most people would perceive them as as negative things, right. right, but when you really look at it, it's like those things had a positive impact on my life mm-hmm. in a really really big kind they of were way. fuel for the fire fuel for the fire gave you that chip that what you needed. That edge. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes when you're stubborn, like it's hard to lose when you're really stubborn <laughs> yeah. because you just don't quit. You know, if you don't have quit in you, like as long as it's a decent business plan or decent model, like right. there, there's, there's success is possible, mm-hmm. right? Then you can really stubborn your way to through a lot of obstacles and through success if you just don't quit.
0: Well, I mean, I'm a firm believer that businesses don't fail. They're the business owners just quit. Mm-hmm. I mean, in in sometimes it's it's a good decision to quit. Yeah, but it is still quitting, you know. And I think, uh, you know, I've had to accept that with some of the ventures that I've had, you know. And we all go through it eventually. Sometimes we just have to quit because it's the best decision for us, you know. Mm-hmm. But I'm again, I'm a firm believer. Like I've had the state of Texas debit my account twenty five grand at one time. You know what I mean? Because I didn't pay my franchise fee. I didn't know it existed. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know what I mean? And then all of a sudden I get this bill for 25 grand and I'm like, what is this for? What tax am I paying now? You know? And apparently when you make over, and this was at the time, and I'm sure it's different now, when you make over $1.2 million or something like that, I think it was at the time, you got to pay a franchise fee now. Mm -hmm. And it was 25 grand. I didn't have 25 grand. I'm like, whatever. Three months later, boom, they took it right out of my account. Can't make payroll got to figure that out you know so i've had my account show negative 20 grand in it before mm-hmm. and uh you think oh well you're out of business you're done you know what i mean there's no way you can come up with that money but little by little i ran payroll out of my personal account you know what i mean mm-hmm. i i pulled cash when i had to pull cash and you know i uh eventually paid that 20 grand back and was able to take my operating account back and run payroll like a normal business <laughs> owner <laughs> instead of out no. of personal checks and stuff
1: I hope it makes you feel better but been there done that um, <laughs> yeah. you know note to the entrepreneurs out there when and especially if you don't come for money and you don't know anybody that makes money right mm-hmm. and you know you get into a world that you're just not familiar with and that happened to me and I realized pretty quickly like oh I, I've got to pay taxes like yeah. on on all of that money mm-hmm. and I didn't have it set up correctly so like I paid myself way too much money and it is, it is stressful. Mm -hmm. It is, it's terrifying, you know, and especially if you are like a successful, because the only way you get to that problem is really by being successful. Yeah. Right. Like the struggling salesperson um, does not have 25 grand yanked out of their bank account. Yeah. Successful business owner does. And it, Mm -hmm. that sounds a little counterintuitive, but you only get those problems by being successful and then you don't know how to handle them until you get there mm-hmm. and this is a common thing i think a lot of entrepreneurs go to and it's a it's a big hurdle and i feel like for a lot of people it's a hard enough wall that they will quit yeah. even after a bit of success because of the stress and the the feeling of like i don't know how i'm going to get out of this mm-hmm. right i remember that feeling of seeing my tax bill and and just like my, I I wanted to like literally just go to sleep for the rest of my life. Like I was like, <laughs> I'm gonna do, go. you
0: want to crawl into bed and pull the covers over your head, and you're a hundred percent right. Just disappear. Yeah. But the problem is when that happened to me, I had seventy people that needed to get paid out of that account. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And so I didn't have a choice. Mm-hmm. Can't just. I mean, and I get it. Some people that's their character. They can. They can walk away from that. But I couldn't. Mm -hmm. I couldn't possibly because I had those abandonment issues my whole life. I wasn't going to do it to somebody else, you know, like I and and, and that's how I feel today. You know, you may not be able to pay someone on time or you may not be able to follow through with your commitment. But as long as you're showing up, you're communicating with them and you're being honest with them. I mean, I think that speaks a lot more volumes than just being quiet, you know. So if you're in that situation, just communicate, you know. Absolutely. And,
1: And it's never as bad as you think it is. Yeah. It's really not. Um, there's always ways out of that situation, and you know you're talking to two people who have climbed out of that situation, yeah. so you know where there's a will there's a way if you stay positive and you keep your head above water and you don't quit like you will you will get out of that you mm-hmm. know, and it won't it won't take you down like you think it will, and well, you got to learn how to hold your breath <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> a lot of times your head's not above water <laughs> so one one thing, and I want to touch on this because and i don't know how how much you identify as a leader uh-huh. but when I hear your story, when I hear even your day to day conversations, and being on even being on Zoom calls with you, and hearing mm-hmm. how you talk about your team, yeah. I identify in, in my mind as a leader. Right. I appreciate that. And to me, that's one of my favorite titles and one of my badges that I carry on myself. Of like, hey, I might not be a lot of things, but I'll, this is what really what I want to be. This is mm-hmm. how I want to identify. And for me, it's actually a superpower because you just said it. I had seventy people that depended on me. I. I couldn't let them down. Yeah. Right. And in my last show, I I took a lot of questions from the crowd and a lot of the questions were based around like, how do you stay motivated? How do you, how do you keep grinding after success or, you know, just through all the ups and downs of entrepreneurship. And Mm -hmm. when I really thought about it, I was like, I've got a lot of people that look up to me and I got a lot of people that depend on me. Mm -hmm. And if they weren't there, if there weren't people like, depending on me, I don't know if I could show up every day. I don't know if I could overcome all the all the adversity and all the problems, right? Mm -hmm. But it's not just about me. I've got other people that I care about. And I'm grateful for that because it's like it's what's giving me that extra like you can't quit now. Yeah. You you can't come this far just to come this far because it's not just about you, right? It was just about me. Well, I could probably stop, you know, making money a long time ago. Like I, I have a, you know, good job, good house, whatever. Um, Talk to me about, you know, your leadership journey and how really that just how that kind of affects you as an entrepreneur. I mean,
0: I wasn't always a leader, you know, and I would say in the heights of my business, I wasn't a leader. And the only reason that I say that is because I was very, very numbers focused, very um, more, more, more focused. Right. Manager. Yeah. um, Yeah. Yeah. That's a good way to put it. Um, And it was because I had that, that hole to fill. Right. And so, you know, kind of getting on the personal side, right. You know, I talked about having that chip on my shoulder and that kind of fueled the fire. Well, you know, at one point in my entrepreneur journey and, you know, personal journey, that fire got out of control, you know? And, and I feel like, you know, what I'm about to tell you guys is the reason that I'm a leader now because I was able to come back from it. And so what happened was I had 13 offices in my business, right? And, you know, leadership, what most people see as leadership is standing up in front of a room and commanding an audience, right? Or um, being, you know, having the CEO or president or owner title, right? Mm -hmm. And that's how I viewed it too when uh, I was in my mid to late 20s. And so I made sure to always hold that position and 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 be that way when I was in front of everybody and so I could kind of compartmentalize hey I'm a leader when I'm in front of the company and then and then I can go be whoever I want to be in my personal life or in my family life or whatever the case is right mm-hmm. And so so to me a leader is someone that is a leader at all times right not just in the family life not just in the personal or personal life or with their friends or with you know, your business, you're, you have to be that constantly. Right. Mm -hmm. And so compartmentalizing my life, I had these 13 offices and I was, you know, it is a lot to manage. You're right. 110 salespeople is, is crazy. Right. You know, we had levels of management. I had um, a market manager at each office. Then I had a regional for every three to four offices. Then I had a VP of, of sales, you know, and he was kind of my day to day guy and I was the big picture guy. Like it should be in most businesses, visionary Mm -hmm. integrator, all that good stuff. But I still wanted to go on tour basically and visit the offices and show face and be a leader, you know, Mm -hmm. and do the thing in the office for a couple of hours. And then, you know, I, I still remember the day in Houston, I was visiting one of my offices there and the manager's like, Hey, let's go to dinner. And then, so we go to dinner and I'm, I'm like 25, no, 26 years. Yeah. 26 years old at this point. So I haven't really experienced life when it comes to women. Right. Mm -hmm. So we go to dinner and he rolls up to a strip club. And, and so we went, I went from that night, you know, experiencing that and realizing that, Hey, I can go out of town. I can be this person out of town and that isn't faithful to his wife and that isn't, uh, a good leader. And then I can come home and I can kind of turn that off and be, you know, a godly family man. Mm-hmm. And then when I'm in my business, I can be the like quintessential leader and put on this face for everybody and and wear the fancy watches and the suits and, you know, uh, tout myself as a millionaire mm-hmm. basically, you know, and I, I never said the words, but I acted as if right.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And eventually that destroyed me and it did. It brought me to my knees eventually to where I was stumbling around Houston after a night of drinking and. And, um, hanging out with some random strangers for no reason at all, you know, and I realized that I had been, I, I didn't realize it. I realized it the next morning, but basically I had been roofied. Right. Mm-hmm. And I, and I get it. Everybody says this, but I, I literally had two beers. I, I knew I was yeah. roofied at that point point. and I'm stumbling around downtown Houston and I see this man you know, and he's, you know, a homeless man. And I'm like, I'm about to get stabbed. I'm in downtown Houston. Like, what am I doing here? But you know how you have the black spots until you Mm -hmm. get to that point. Right. And I'm not assuming that you've been there, but um, (laughs) most people have. Right. And so like, I'm about to get stabbed. This is it. This, you know, and I start flashing through everything in my head. Like that would happen after that, you know? All right. This guy stabs me because I can't defend myself. I'm like barely able to talk. This guy stabs me and I die and he robs me or whatever. And then my wife and my kids have to hear about their their dad on the five o'clock Houston News or, you know, they get the police report or whatever the case is and they got to read this, you know, or see an mm-hmm. article in the paper or whatever. Drunk man gets stabbed by a homeless man. You know what I mean? That's my label for the rest of my life, right? And so it turns out that that man was actually a divine angel sent from heaven because he got me to a bus stop, which got me into a taxi, which got me to my truck. And then somehow I drove back to the hotel that night and didn't get a DUI, didn't get into a wreck or kill myself or anybody else, you know, and I, and I do believe that I was being watched over that night for no good reason. Right. As we all are Mm -hmm. for no good reason. (laughs) And, uh, I had to explain everything to my wife the next morning, you know? And then I had to go to church that Sunday and give testimony in front of everybody. And obviously I couldn't do it at that point because I had finally been convicted by God. And so I literally was at the pew staring at everybody and I had to step down because I couldn't do it because I would have been lying my ass off the whole time, Mm -hmm. you know. Sorry if we got to edit that. (laughs) But anyways, uh, so I, I, I made that decision right then and there. And unfortunately, I didn't do it 100% of the way. I did it 90% of the way because I stopped being unfaithful. I stopped going out like that and drinking too much, and I started being a present father, but I didn't tell my wife. Mm-hmm. And so two years went by. You know, I ran my business. I did well, and she noticed the difference. I was more present. I was sewing into my family and bearing that fruit. And um, and then it was like an old email or something like that she came across, right? And did raise suspicion. And I could have lied my way through it, but I just was tired of holding on to that. So I just mm. let it all out. Yep. And so obviously, rightfully so, um, she separated from me and we eventually got divorced. And so this was kind of the turning point, right? I'm driving from Corpus Christi to San Antonio. And this is when I believe I became a leader, right? Driving from Corpus Christi to San Antonio. I've just sold our, our home that I raised my family in. And I'm leaving the city that I built my business in because she wanted to live close to her parents in San Antonio. And um, I'm thinking about what I've just done to my whole life. You know, how I've single-handedly destroyed my whole life. I've become basically what I was running from and become what created the chip on my shoulder. Yeah. You know, and we do, we repeat these childhood traumas, right? And I made a decision right then and there, you know, and I was just thinking about like, I'm going to have to tell people why we got divorced or maybe I can spin it. I'm a good liar, so I can spin this. Right. And I made that decision right then. And I had more conviction from God in that moment. It's like, no, you're going to be a man of integrity moving forward. Mm -hmm. No matter how ugly the truth is, you're going to tell the truth. doesn't matter if it's, you know, someone that you're dating. doesn't matter if it's a friend or someone you just met. When they ask you why you got divorced, you're going to tell them the truth. And so you think about this thing that is like an unforgivable sin, you know what I mean? And in society's eyes, unforgivable. And you're the you know lowest dirt of the earth, and you have to have that conversation every time somebody asks you, like, "Are you married? Are you divorced? What happened?" You know, it's not, "Oh, we grew apart." It's like, "No, I was unfaithful." Yeah, you know, I let my head get to me. I let my business get to me. I let the money get to me. And I let that chip on my shoulder continue to leave that hole in me, I guess you could say, and tried to fill it with these things that couldn't fill it, Mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying? And so when I started living like that, then again, recommitted myself to my kids, because now I have them 50% of the time, right? But I'm everything the whole time. I'm the nurturer, I'm the protector, I'm the provider, I'm the one that cooks dinner, washes the clothes like keeps up the house you know what i'm saying so i'm all of a sudden it turns me into super dad you know what i mean like a lot of you know divorced men do because they realize oh crap i i screwed that up i can't screw this up Mm -hmm. and so over the next three years we attempt to reconcile several times and it, it doesn't really work out until she reestablishes her relationship with god was able to forgive me and then she was just like a changed person after that all of a sudden like that veil had come down and she saw who I was now, mm-hmm. you know, which was a man of integrity, a family man. wasn't, uh, you know, I'm still working on the godly man part. You know what I mean? I feel like I'm never going to give myself that title, you know? Um, and I did, I was outwardly hourly spoken about our divorce and why we were there mm-hmm. and, and she respected that I owned up to it, you know? And so we were able to reestablish a relationship and eventually, you know, uh, a year ago, we got remarried. We're coming wow. up on our one-year new anniversary. I don't know, ten years <laughs> <That's> total. <awesome. laughs> Dude, you, in like a month,
1: you got. I've got chill bumps over here, and I just wanted to make one little comment. I mean, and not to not to get too far down the road, but you already got me all up in my feels and all that good <laughs> stuff. Um, but you are a godly, godly man, right? You you were made by the divine, and it's mm. inside of you. It's inside all of us, right? And that's what that's what makes it. us all special. Right. And um man, what a roller coaster there. Um, you know, with your wife. I think that not not many people have a story like that. Mm-hmm. Right. Most of the time the story ends where we split. Yeah. Right. And, and we're this never is normal
0: now, mm-hmm. you know what I mean, for to be divorced and to, you know, uh have a schedule for your kids and you know, it's like probably sixty, seventy percent of parents child relationships, yeah. you know, where they have to, they have to work around the schedule or, you know, and be apart from the kids half the time. Or for most dads, I was lucky that, you know, she was reasonable. And of course I like didn't hold anything back. They were taken care of, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and that God blessed me during that time. You know, I had uh Wayne Skinner, he was my VP of sales and I told him, Hey, I'm about to go through this, you know, I'm yeah. going to, I'm going to need you. Uh, I guarantee you I'm not going to be hundred percent for a while. Oh yeah. And he was like, "Hey, I got you," you know. And so um, the business actually did better than it ever did profit-wise during those times, you mm-hmm. know. And it's because like I was so on my numbers because now I had two households to provide for, you know. <laughs> and, and don't get me wrong; she was a teacher, she made good money and everything. Um, but but you had to step up. Yeah, I had to step up. You know, I had to make sure that they never wanted for anything, you know. Mm-hmm. And a teacher's salary is fifty grand a year; that ain't going to cut it, you know. Yeah. And so. Um, it, it was crazy. You did bless me during that time. There was no reason my business should have done that well during that time. Yeah. So,
1: man, that's a crazy story. Mm-hmm. Um, talk to me because I mean, I can see it clear as day how easy it is to fall into mm-hmm. that trap, uh, especially when you still got a rocket to success. And I'm very lucky in the fact that my significant other is my business partner. And so we do business together yeah. and we do everything together, but she's all up in your business. (laughs) I also, I know, I know where I came from. So to speak, I know my natural tendencies, if Mm -hmm. you will, Mm -hmm. I know how, how Randall would be if he didn't work on himself. Right. right? And it's not pretty, it's, it's ugly, it's nasty. Right. And so I could definitely, you know, I hate to say that I could definitely see myself falling into similar traps. So I identify with that story a lot. Mm -hmm. and, as a young man, you know, going up in your 20s, I, I do think like, yeah, we got to hold ourselves accountable. But also, I think it is a lot more difficult than people make it out to be. There's a lot of pressure on on being a man today mm-hmm. and lots of lots of ways to mess up. Like, <laughs> There's lots of it's, hurdles out there.
0: Man, it's... So, obviously... Especially when you're younger. Yeah, and I, I went through that. Well, imagine this. Imagine you're 31. You make six figures, not bad looking, you know what I mean? And now that you're divorced, you're in really good shape. Funny how that always works. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And uh, it is cliche for, you know, women in their early 20s to want a 30 year old man Mm -hmm. now. You know what I'm saying? And oh yeah, on top of that, there's these little apps that you log into and you can have one at your door in a matter of hours. And it's that easy.
1: Glad I've never been single with apps. <laughs> I'll just say that.
0: So, yeah, it got worse before it got better in terms of, you know, who I was. Now, don't get me wrong. I was telling the truth the whole time. You know what I mean? But that made it even worse. They were even more attracted to me because I was telling the truth, you yeah. know? And so it was very hard to come back from that. I mean, I, 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 I mean, it, 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 it's an addiction in itself. Mm-hmm. That any time you can get on an app and have a conversation with you know this person that's attracted to you and it's just there it's 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 just as bad as tiktok or it's facebook or, or porn you know like it's all there in the palm of your hands and instant it's, feedback yeah instant instant dopamine hits and then what happens is like okay how are you going to go from how are you going to go from from that to just focusing on one woman mm-hmm. you know what i'm saying with all those distractions and everything on there, you literally have to become a whole new, a whole new person, operate a whole different way, and you can't operate the way that the society operates. Yeah. No way,
1: no, you yeah. know.
0: Like I can't. So, just give an example. The Instagram. Um, so you got Instagram, right? And then when you go to search something, those suggested videos and stuff come up. Mm-hmm. Well, if you haven't trained Instagram on what to suggest to you then it's going to be half naked women oh, yeah. all the way through. And so you literally have to go in there and click on everything but that and train Instagram to stop showing you that. Mm-hmm. You know, you know what I mean? No, I remember
1: it, not to cut you off. I yeah. remember when TikTok came out. Yeah. And I got on TikTok And I was like, this is, this is terrible. It's just naked women everywhere. Like this is not going to be an app that's good for me. Deleted it, Mm -hmm. eventually came back and then went, went in there and went and liked all of the influencers, all the people that I wanted to, because I needed a TikTok to post on TikTok. Um, And now my TikTok looks completely different, but originally I know what you're talking about. It is like for days,
0: but that's, that's the world around you, you know, and you constantly have to adjust the algorithm in order to protect yourself because if you think that you're just that, you have that much character and you're just that moral, then you you're going to fail every mm-hmm. time. And then originally I did, I was like I got a divorce, I know I don't want to do this stuff anymore. But man, once it's just like an an onion, you start peeling it back and all of a sudden like you're way down in the hole and yep. you you can't see God, you can't see morality, you can't see any of that stuff. Yeah. You know. And it's, it's too easy nowadays. So you literally have to protect yourself. Yeah. And that's why I'm surrounded by, you know, people like my producer, Ryan. You know what I mean? He's, that's a godly man right there. Yeah. And I've surrounded myself with him on purpose, 100%. Because yeah. he sees everything that I do because he's <laughs> following me around all the time, getting the media, you know, capturing, you know, when I go on these road trips and stuff like that, he sees me going to bed at nine o'clock mm-hmm. at night and whether he knows it or not he's a huge influence in my life and part of that accountability you, you got to
1: have those people you know in your life and we talk about it all the time i mean you are the some of the five people you spend the most time with mm-hmm. and you need people that are doing better than you right that's mm-hmm. why we're part of organizations like apex and other masterminds because yeah. i want to find people like who's doing better than me physically Who's mm-hmm. doing better than me financially? Who's more spiritual than I am? Who's yeah. better at relationships?
0: And it's not always the same person. Oh, and no. if it is the same person, then watch them because they're lying. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, typically they're going to be good at one thing yeah.
1: and then mediocre at everything yeah. else. That's how most people are. Yeah. Um, but I love surrounding myself with people like that. That is a, a key strategy on my on my mm-hmm. side of things of how how I kind of you know be successful or stay successful, if you will, is – I try to surround myself with successful people. Yeah. And typically it kind of just happens naturally if, mm-hmm. if you surround yourself with the right people in the right environment. Right. Yeah. The environment's huge. Um, you said something, and I don't know why my brain went this way, but okay. it was a conversation I had with just uh, one of my friends the other day. And he asked me, he's like, How'd you quit dipping snuff? He dipped snuff. Mm-hmm. And I thought about it and I said, Well, I said, At first, I quit buying snuff. And I didn't tell myself I couldn't dip snuff. Yeah. If uh, one of my friends was like, hey, you want to dip? I would Take dip. Take dip. Right? If I was, you know, drinking some beers hanging out on the weekends, I could pop a dip in if, you know, someone had some. Yeah. I just wouldn't buy it. Right? And... So you'd be a moocher at
0: that point. Yeah, I was a moocher. Um,
1: <laughs> which is totally fine. You know what I mean? But yeah. to me, like, psychologically, it's so much easier to quit because I just kind of tricked myself a little bit. Yeah. I had one rule. You can't buy snuff. Yeah. Right? And if you don't buy it, you don't do it, right? Taking that same approach with, you know, groceries and food and stuff like that. Like, I don't have to think about like, I only eat one chocolate or only drink one soda. It's like, just don't buy buy the soda. And then I won't be tempted to do it yeah. because I know about myself, I will fall to temptation. So I have to eliminate them mm -hmm. completely.
0: Well, and then if you, if you have kids, things change a little bit. Because they bring it home every day. Mm-hmm. And this and this is like, it's funny how you can turn everything into metaphors. That's society, though. Like, you, you give your kids to society, they come back with candy. You know what I'm saying? Yep. It's like, they're like, oh, this sugary stuff, I never had it before, you know? What is that, Grown Ups? That movie, Grown Ups, where the the daughters have cake for the first time. It's like, why didn't you tell us about this? And they're That's like why. freaking out. <laughs> and going, They're on a big old sugar high. But no, 100% agree with what you're saying, man. You you got to have, uh, how did I, somebody described it to me, it was perfect, barriers. Mm-hmm. These lanes that you operate in and then around them you have these barriers that you operate in to protect yourself, yeah. you know. And and yeah, I think it's, it's necessary in disciplines and it's necessary in life and then in business as well. Mm-hmm. You know, you start practicing that in your personal life and you practice it in your business. All of a sudden, your pee are going to look a lot better.
1: Absolutely, and you kind of bring us into a really good point. Something that I like to talk about quite frequently mm-hmm. because I feel like for most people, and I know this because this is just what I did for a long time. I just floated through life. I was a good person. I mm-hmm. did the best I could. It wasn't like I was a bad person or yeah. whatever, right? But I didn't have a. I didn't have a lot. Of, I didn't have a plan, yeah. right? Not a good plan, anyways. And what tends to happen is either you design your life like intentionally or life designs it for you, Mm -hmm. right? And one of the biggest game changers for me was to start to think just like as silly as it sounds, start to think more of like, how do I want to be? Like, Mm -hmm. what do I want my life to look like? And for some people, they're like, why wouldn't you think that way? I don't know. Just for a long time, I didn't. And I started to figure out, okay, well, I'm actually in control here yeah. and I can build Turns the life out. that I want and I can design it. And if I just figure out the rules and the guidelines, like you said, of kind mm-hmm. of each area of my life and I stay within the, the bounds, not that society sets, not that my teachers or my coaches or my parents set, but what does right. Randall want? What's important to Randall, mm-hmm. right? What's going to make Randall happy? and what's going to make you happy in this area this ha- area and you start to go to work on that and you start to see life from like a completely different lens right and i would i would imagine when you were going up in, in business you quite weren't there yet even though you're successful in business right. and you hit rock bottom and that's when you get clarity that's mm-hmm. when you can kind of see yourself for the first time
0: yeah
1: and you have that big man i've I fucked up, right? I, I feel so bad. I'm like, you're like an open wound at that point. Yeah. Right? Can't, can't get worse. <laughs> no, it can't get worse than that. I mean, and, it can, but it didn't, yeah. thankfully. But you get you get that moment of clarity of like, okay, I'm going to survive this. I got a second chance. Yeah. Take me into, you know, that perception change, because obviously you probably see the world completely different mm-hmm. after that moment than before. Yeah. How did you go about Reestablishing Doug, like just, just kind of building who you wanted to be.
0: It took a while, you know, the, the integrity part was just the start, right? And, and you were talking about it earlier, surrounding yourself with the right people. And so I would say the point at which I started reestablishing who I was, was after I joined Apex because I, I had all these examples of men around me that knew who they were, knew what they wanted. And we're executing a plan to get it, you know, and what I, what I loved about their plan is there was no destination. It was more, this is who I am. So this is what I do, Mm -hmm. you know? And once I realized, oh, that's the key, it's not, oh, because, because that's what it was in my, when I was 26 and my business was doing 5 million, like my goal was a million. Mm -hmm. So what do I do now that I'm doing five, you know? where's the motivation at now to do anything else with this, Mm -hmm. you know? And so I shifted my mindset to who I wanted to be similar to what you said. I started architecting that. Right. And apex taught me a lot of the the tools in order to do that. And one of the first ones was time blocking. And uh, I actually took a course on this and the, I guess the brain science behind it is if you put something in your calendar, even if it's one twelfth of a project that you need to finish, it's this massive project, but if you put it in your calendar and you put you know, one hour in there and it takes 12 hours to finish, but you go and complete that one hour, the dopamine hit you get from that completion of that time block is the same as sugar, is the same as porn, is the same as TikTok.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: So all of a sudden you... You start doing this and you start completing those time blocks and you're getting a different kind of a dopamine, a productive kind of dopamine. You know, a lot of times when we talk about dopamine, it's this negative thing, but not if you train your subconscious in your brain to to use it in a positive way, which is reinforce positive actions, you know. And so time blocking was the first thing, right? Establishing a set of core values was the, the second thing and what, and literally once you do those two things you you're you literally can architect your life. Mm-hmm. So if I if I decide that hey I start work at 9 and I finish work at 4 and I don't take a lunch, you know, just the container that I bring from home and I time block the whole day, I can get more done from 9 to 4 than most people get done Monday through Friday without a plan going into work from 8 to 5. Mm-hmm. You know. And if I can do that, then what am I home for in the mornings? Well, to take care of the kids and get them to school, right? What am I home for in the evenings? To make dinner and spend intentional time with my kids, mm-hmm. you know, to the point that I even time block that sometimes when it, when my schedule gets out of control. Like right now, my I have fourteen hour days right now because mm-hmm. I've essentially started a new business this year. I've gotten out of that sales org that we've been talking about for most of the show and into a full time consulting business, which I have. When it comes to the consulting. I know what the hell I'm doing when it comes to marketing, the consulting, I have no idea what I'm doing, you know? Yeah. And so me and my team are working our way through that and we're learning every, every day. And yeah, we're using the crap out of chat GBT for that. Mm-hmm. Um, but going back to it a hundred percent, just start with the time blocking and that, and that will start you being able to architect your life. Just something that simple in every 15 minutes, if you have to. If if it's something as small as a 15 minute task, then schedule the next 15 minutes and schedule the next half hour the hour until you have it color coded. Like I do now, I can show you my calendar right now. It's all color coded and there isn't a whole lot of wasted time. This is the first time I've seen like good gaps because I had to, you know, the drive over here and the drive back, you know what I'm saying? Normally it's like back to back to back, you know?
1: Very interesting. And I think for me, like time blocking was probably one of the last skills that I picked up in my mm-hmm. journey. And it wasn't just until like, okay, like things are about to fly off the rails. Yeah. I've got to figure out a way to be more efficient with my time. Mm-hmm. And I remember I had a, I had a moment in my business and I was like, if I could just do this and do this, the business would do great. Yeah, But that would mean I would have to work like 18 hours a day. Because I can't do both. And
0: and not get distracted. Yeah. Because you can work 18 hours a day and be distracted the whole time oh, and yeah. not get anything done.
1: Well, another thing that I learned, and that was not the strategy that I ended up taking, thankfully. I, I talked myself out of that instead mm-hmm. of trying to do two roles. I hired somebody and did one.
0: Yeah. Um, and made less money for a little while.
1: Yeah. But it is what it is. I had my sanity and my yeah, exactly. my time. and. One of the things that I've noticed, and this this is common with a lot of entrepreneurs, is you know, we push ourselves really hard. And, you know, you mentioned like, okay, if I set up my schedule nine to four like that, mm-hmm. I'm there with my kids in the morning, I'm there with my kids in the afternoon. Yeah. People just don't really understand how important that is because it's like even if you were working those hours, mm-hmm. right? If internally you're battling Man, I'm not with my kids. I'm yeah. being a bad father. I'm not there for them, right? Even if it's subconscious. Because mm-hmm. a lot of times, like it's not even really the thoughts we think. It's just that when you do things or say things that are not congruent with your identity, they're not yeah. congruent with who you believe yourself to be, it wreaks havoc on your mm-hmm. mind and your body and your your overall performance because you're just you're not doing what you're supposed to do. And so a lot of times, like, well, really, hurt ourselves because we think, well, I'm going to do more work, but I feel like crap because I'm not being a good dad. Right. Well, then that's totally counterproductive because mm-hmm. you're not getting anything done at all. Right. And you're better off kind of doing what you said and just time blocking, being mm-hmm. more focused with my time and getting in all areas of life, all aspects, not just business.
0: Right. And so there's a hack for that, right? Because sometimes depending on where your business is at in the journey, you have to put in those 14 hour days. Right. And, uh, in, in a lot of times it's, you know, you got to have somebody there in the evening or, you know, whatever the case is, or you just, you have deadlines to meet. Mm -hmm. And in my case right now, it's a lot of client deadlines. Right. And so the question is, you know, there's so many cliches out there, you know, you got to grind, I grind a hundred hours a week so I can live like, uh, so I don't have to live like everybody else in three years or, you know, do this for one year or whatever the case is. You know, there's a lot of cliches about there about grinding, working hard, hustle, right? And you do. There are points in your career that you have to do that or your business or whatever the case is. But here's the hack. If you know you're going to have to do that and you should if you're a seasoned business owner by now, like if you're in our shoes, right? If you know you're going to have to do that, you go home, you sit your family down. And you tell them exactly what's going on and why you're doing it and what the end result is going to be. Mm-hmm. You have to fill your family in. And the first place that I learned this was a book that uh, Burton Hughes wrote. He's actually in Apex. Um, he's a roofer. He still knocks on doors today. And um, But he has like three Lamborghinis and is just stupid successful, right? But he, he wrote a book called Align Your Empire. And so in the concept of the book was he didn't believe in balance he believed in alignment right and that you had different seasons in your life but as long as you were aligned with your significant other and you were aligned with your kids and they understood why you were doing what you're doing there was a lesson to be learned in that moment so i can go home you know like last night was one of those 14 hour days but i got home my kids rushed to me they gave me a big old hug my wife gave me the kiss and then my daughter before i put her to bed she asked Hey dad, are you going to have to work late again tomorrow? I said, no baby, I'm not going to work late tomorrow. You know, I'm going to be home with you guys. She's like, okay, mm-hmm. good. So as long as they know why you're working late and if you're working late and they're aligned with you in that, you know, like she's in, she's seeing what I do today. You know, mm-hmm. this is one of the first times in a while I've been able to bring you into the office and, and they know the purpose behind it, you know, yeah. then then, then it's not dad's at work because he doesn't want to be here. Yeah, you know what I mean. And then you don't have that internal like, oh, I need to be at home with the kids. No, we we talked about this. We planned this together as a family, and now we're executing together. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's that's something I'm thankful for, Burton, that I learned from that book, and yeah. then and then continue to be reinforced through masterminds and groups with high level individuals.
1: It's a beautiful lesson, and when I hear you say that it's so funny how almost everything comes down to communication Mm -hmm. and that's what I tell everybody like everybody's in sales, whether you want to believe it or not. Um, It all comes down to our ability to communicate with each other and setting the right expectations in almost every scenario that I've seen has just come down to like be one of the most important things, right? Mm -hmm. Like regardless of how things turn out, just setting the right expectations and your for yourself, and for other people, right? Yeah. And if you understand what you're what you're going to do in your family, your business partners, whoever it is, if we all understand, you know, what to expect, we're not su- surprised by things, and we tend to handle them a lot better when problems or adversity does come down the pipeline. Mm-hmm. And just you, that was a little golden nugget I picked up of like you telling them, right? Yeah. And it's so many problems, or not so many. Almost every problem comes down to lack of communication. And not setting the right expectations. Well,
0: and you're not communicating because your ego. A lot of that. okay. This, so this was me. All right, and maybe somebody listening can relate to this. You're not communicating because your ego. Because you're the breadwinner. You bring home the bacon. Nobody needs to question you and your family. You know what I'm saying? But then you leave it to their imagination to decide why you're working late, which is always bad. Mm-hmm. They're always going to think of the worst thing, same way humans do. You know? So yeah, I, I I couldn't agree with you more.
1: Well, and you didn't just say I'm gonna be working late. Yeah. Right, you also explained the benefits, the mm-hmm. reason why. Yeah. Right, you gave them the full picture, which mm-hmm. you're, you know, you're a salesman, so yeah. you, you've done that a time or two, mm-hmm. and you painted the picture and you painted the benefits, you know, their benefits and why you're doing it. And a simple little thing like that just goes a really a long way to kind of keep your household in alignment mm-hmm. uh, as an entrepreneur, because if you don't have that support, man like it's tough. Like entrepreneurship is tough enough already. Like <laughs> yeah. you don't need to make it tougher by not having your closest people believe in you and support you and and one of the ways you can do that is just clear communication and you know setting those right expectations. 100%. So, man, I absolutely love it, guys. Um you know, show today was was up and down little emotional roller coaster, yeah. but some great, some great stories, some great motivation. Um, now, I've had the pleasure of, of knowing Doug for a little bit now, and and really been super impressed. Not just from a personal standpoint, but from a business standpoint. Uh, I tell Doug he makes me feel unorganized uh, because he is so structured. <laughs> That's all my team. That's He's my so team. Structured yeah. and organized, um, but does a fantastic job. Um, with the building great sales team brand, the Argenta consulting brand as well, both you know great companies that help a lot of people. so you know, excited to have you here, Doug. really appreciate you coming on and sharing your story, being vulnerable with mm-hmm. with yourself, being vulnerable with the guest and and that's why we do this, right? We don't do this so people can look at Doug or look at Randall. yeah, um, we do this because we hope that somehow some way there's one person out there that we can make some change in their life, we can Mm -hmm. help them, right? We have to learn things the hard way most of the time, but every now and then you can learn from someone else's mistakes, right? So I just want to thank Doug for being here. Uh, Thank you guys for showing up every week and watching the show, supporting Move the Needle. And as always, guys, like, subscribe, and share, and share being the most important part. You know, I can almost guarantee you that there's somebody on your friends list, on your page somewhere that that's struggling right now. Maybe they're going through a tough time with their with their spouse. Maybe they're going through a divorce. Maybe they're going through the exact same things that Doug went through, mm-hmm. or that I went through. Um, maybe they're struggling business wise or just mindset wise, and just clicking that little share button um, can let someone see this video and it can help them. Right? That's the whole purpose of the channel of what we're doing here is just to try to get information from, um, you know, people that have been there, done that, and then share that with other people so it can help them. Thank you for tuning into this episode of
0: building great sales teams. We appreciate it. Be sure to execute on everything that you just heard and let's get building. Before we sign off, we'd like to invite you to join our Brickyard community head on over to jointhebrickyard.com. Again, that's jointhebrickyard.com or click the link in the description to find out more.